The scripture is printed for you in the bulletin there, and I invite you to follow as I read for you. This is uh, from 1 John chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. This is God's holy word. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Thus far, God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Thanks be to God. Now, John continues his almost constant theme here in his first letter. And that theme is God's people should love one another. This is a command that goes back to the days of Cain and Abel. They were mentioned uh, last time as we studied in this book. You remember that uh, Cain slew his brother Abel. And the scripture says because Abel's deeds were righteous and his own deeds were evil. And then the idea of loving one another is stressed again in the law of Moses and is renewed by Jesus in His instructions to His disciples. So that I believe we must conclude that this lack of love was troubling the early church. And not only in those churches in uh, Western Asia Minor, where John was the principal leader, but uh, throughout the world as Christianity had spread far and wide by the end of the first century, there still was a lack of love that was evident in many churches. And so the situation needed a remedy. Well, no person better exemplified the love that was required than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And indeed, He is the remedy for that sin, sin of not loving as we should, or for all sins. He came into the world to save sinners and to bring about not just the forgiveness of of one sin one time, but for all of our sins and a change in our personalities and commitments. And he's able to do that because of his deity, because of his power, because of the work that he fully accomplished when he died upon the cross. Now, using today's passage, I want to stress certain things to you that are related to this need for correction, for lack of love. For we must all, even if we have our own little congregation here, inside Brookdale, that we must love one another. First of all, 
Jesus laid down His life for us. You'll find that in verse 16. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us. Secondly, there's the element of surprise as this portion begins. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. And we'll follow that with uh, some reasons we can love one another. And finally, we'll have the collective evidence of our salvation as seen in this passage that uh, John writes for all believers everywhere and in all times. Okay, Jesus laid down His life for us. This is a a foundation, the statement. Now you'll find it in other places in the Bible, but it remains the foundation for everything else. If you go to build something and you don't lay the right foundation, what's going to happen? The building's going to fall down. The building is not going to be able to survive the traffic and the various elements that might come against it. You need the strong foundation. And so it's important as we look at this passage, as we look at this need to have love for one another, to understand that everything is possible, everything will remain, everything is what we're looking for because Jesus laid down His life for us. Now notice, first of all, that His sacrificial love, and when we say sacrificial love, we mean that He loved us enough to die for us on the cross. His sacrificial love stands in contrast to the way of the world. Well, what is the way of the world? It's right at the end of that first verse, verse 13 there. The world hates. And you see the contrast. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The Lord Jesus loved us and He like a good friend, laid down his life for his friends. That's in contrast to the way of the world which hates. The world hates, period, but the world especially hates us, and we'll get more into that as we go along. Compare then this idea of the contrast between how the world carries on its way and how we should carry on our way in Christ by uh, listening to the verses of Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Now, as uh, we've indicated here, sometimes people will die for a good cause, uh, for something that that seems worthwhile and and worthy and for the betterment of the world. Yes, but even that uh, sacrifice, as it were, is not to be truly compared to what Christ has done. For while we were still ungodly sinners... Christ died for us. His sacrifice accomplishes more than even the best that the world can do. 1 John 3, 5, which we've already studied, says this, You know He appeared in order to take 
away sins. What other sacrifice on earth, what other act of love on earth could take away sins? None of them, uh, though they may be laudable, though we may appreciate them very much. It's only what Christ has done that can take away sins. Well, what about the sin of not loving each other? Well, you see, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. We have deliverance from the worst of our sins, including our failure to love one another, because Christ died for us and we put our trust in Him. His sacrifice, indeed, is the definition of love. Look at verse 16. We know love by this. That is, love is defined by this, that He laid down His life for us. And therefore, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, brothers and sisters. His sacrifice then is the definition of love. And of course, we must include, as I quoted the verse a moment ago, that it is the love of the Father also that is included in what goes on here. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Notice how the passage ends. Let us love with word, uh, not only with word or with tongue, but in deed and and truth. So that uh, Christ, you see, loved in deed. What's the deed? Well, we could cite many of His deeds, but none is so wonderful or so important is that He died on the cross. That He died as a substitute for sinners. That He took upon Himself the punishment that was due to sinners. So He he loved in deed and He loved in truth. Meaning that uh, He didn't just die according to some uh, random bunch of rules that might have been put forth or the ideas of men, but this is what God had set forth in His Word. God's saying, if you want the forgiveness of sins, if you want deliverance, if you want to be new people, if you want to be able to love each other, then do it My way. And Christ died exactly according to God's way. That's how He laid down His life. He expressed His love in truth as well as in deed. The two of them go together. So Jesus laid down His life for us. That's the foundation. And that's why then we can move on and not just say, well, it's a good idea and we encourage everybody to love each other. But rather, in Christ we're able to do what's very difficult to do. To love the unloving. To love the unlovely. To love as God loves. To love sinners And we're all sinners, but we can love each other through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think that's the first point to to take out of this particular section of 1 John chapter 3. He laid down His life for us. That's the foundational thing. If you don't have that, then anything else you do is not going to amount to very much. It's going to be temporary. It's not going to take away sins. It's not going to lead you into everlasting life. It's only what Christ has done in laying down His life. Okay, secondly, we have the element of surprise. Now, of course, John here means that uh, any number of people might think, well, if, if we're trying to be good folks and we do the right sort of thing, that uh, the world then will receive us and say, good for you, we need you in our community. We need you uh, to be a part of our life here. 
But he says, do not be surprised, brethren, if they don't do that at all. If instead, they hate you. Now how can this this happen? Well, of course, people who know the Bible should not be surprised by very much at all. Because just about everything in terms of human behavior, the relationships with people, what goes on in the world, is explained in the Scriptures. If you have a question, well, why does this happen? Why does that happen? You can go to the Bible and find out. I'm sure you probably have a lot of questions even now. And you're wondering, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to my family? Why is there war in the world? Why is there trouble? This and that. I don't have the time to go into all that and explain it to you today, but I can tell you with great assurance and absolute confidence that the Bible will tell you if you search it out in the Scriptures. And if you spend enough time in in studying with others, with Bible teachers and so forth, uh, these questions of yours can be answered. But the point is that if, if you know your Bible, you're not going to be too surprised. Now, John is saying, on the basis of what I've just said, don't be surprised, you who know the Bible, you who study the Bible, don't be surprised. One thing you can count on is whenever anybody, Paul or John or any of the writers of Scripture, uh, tell you, don't do such and such, like this, be surprised or be ignorant, Paul says a lot of the time, that you will be surprised and uh, you are ignorant of some things. So you're never going to quite master everything. And John especially is hearing from some that the world hates various uh, branches of the church, various activities and, and the lives of people. And they're hated by the world. And uh, of course, this, this makes people scratch their heads and say, well, well, why? Why is this going on? Now, John will give us a little bit of insight into that from this passage. I'm sure that uh, we've all taken uh, trips in, in cars where we had to, to look at the map, right? We want to know how to get from point A to point B. And sometimes uh, the, the main road from point A to point B uh, will be kind of a rough road. You have to take uh, turns and twists through the mountains or you have to drive through the desert or you have to do uh, something. If you follow that main road, uh, it, it's not going to be all that pleasant. So you do what? You look for a shortcut. And you, you study the map and lo and behold, look here. There's a road that runs from point A to point B and it's much straighter and it seems like just a much better road to take. And so you say, that settles it. We're going to take this road. And then you get a few miles down that road and the pavement runs out. And it's rained and the road is muddy and you get stuck in the mud. And rocks have come down from the hill and, and blocked the road. And then there's a farmer with his cattle covering the road and you can't get by. And you say, well, maybe it wasn't such a good idea. You're surprised. You're surprised that that shortcut, that uh, wonderful way to avoid the mountains and the desert, isn't really what you wanted at all. Okay, John is saying, don't be surprised. There's no way you're going to find a shortcut around persecution and hatred because that's the way life really is. That's the truth. People who know the Bible shouldn't be surprised. But we are especially taken back by the intensity of the hostility of the world 
and its effect on us. The hostility of the world is often restrained. And when it's restrained, we can thank God. That's a part of the common grace of God, that He he keeps things settled down. People don't express the hatred in the full measure that they might. And we can thank God for that. However, when certain situations come together, when circumstances are right, then this hatred for those who love the Lord, who want to follow the Lord, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they find themselves the objects of extreme hostility. And the result is that we become irritable. We become uh, impatient with those around us. And the result is that we don't love one another as we should. We're taken by surprise. May I suggest to you that if you do study the Bible and you do understand that this hostility exists, maybe you won't completely deal with it in a sort of passive and accepting way, but at least you're prepared for it. And the writer John here is saying that we ought not to be unprepared for the way the world will treat us. And we need to try to put aside with God's help that irritability, that dislike for this person or that person in the church for whatever reasons, and love one another in spite of it all. The world's anger is really Satan's anger. Jesus said to his opponents at one point, and this was a very harsh statement, nevertheless, it had to be said, and it was the truth, he said, you are of your father, the devil. These were unbelievers who hated him and who hated his people, his disciples, and other followers. They could not abide some of the things that Jesus taught, and they identified everything he taught with those who followed him. And in fact, uh, some, some of his followers later said that we're not going to follow you anymore. It's just too hot. It's just too tough. It's just too difficult a situation because the world hates us so much. Now they had some other reasons too, but that certainly would figure into it. But the world's anger is Satan's anger at the Lord. Now let me read you this verse. It'll take a little explaining, but I think it's important. It's from John chapter 7, not... 1 John, but the Gospel of John. Chapter 7, verse 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Now, first of all, how can he say the world cannot hate you and then here say the world will hate you? Well, because he's saying that the hatred comes through Christ. The devil and those with the devil hate Christ and what He stands for. Oh, they like the idea that He's loving and kind and so forth and heals the sick. But essentially, they don't like the fact that Jesus says to them, your deeds are evil. You need to repent. You need to get right with God. And He says, the world can't hate you without hating Me so that that hate comes to rest upon you as you trust in Me. The world cannot hate you if the world thinks you're on their side. Now, there might be other reasons that you hate, that they hate you. But uh, in terms of your relationship to God and your being a part of the, God's people, and those that you're supposed to love, 
The world is going to hate you through Christ. That is, they hate Him first. That's the, the, the anger of Satan. And it's going to come and rest on you just in that way. And so again, he says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. In other words, it hates me and then it gets to hate you. Because I testify to it that its deeds are evil. The world does not like the idea of being saved by grace. Okay? What does the world like? The world likes you can save yourself. You can pile up a bunch of good deeds and God will say, good boy, good girl, you can go to heaven. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you're a sinner and the only way you can get rid of your sins is to trust in Jesus as your Savior. The world does not like that idea of salvation by grace. And God's love in that way, sending Christ to die for sinners, does not fit the world's tradition of self-righteousness. So why do we need Jesus? That's the, the cry of the world. Who needs Jesus? He did uh, some nice things and, and we think that's good, but really it comes down to us and what we do and how we continue our lives. The world is angry at that whole idea that you need a Savior and that you have given your life to Him and going to follow Him and their deeds are evil and you've stopped doing those deeds at least as the main thrust of your life and, and they don't like that. Again, the world shows some temporary appreciation for things like kindness, but ultimately it hates grace. Grace meaning, let God do it. You don't do it. Let God do it. The world doesn't like that. And where is this hatred uncovered? Because it does stay restrained and hidden a lot, but where is it uncovered? It's when you preach the Gospel. When the Gospel is put forth. Christ died for our sins. You can't save yourself. All your righteousness is as filthy rags. Everything that, that you're trying to do is wrong, but everything that Christ did is right. And when people hear that, they either accept it and embrace it because they're born again, or they hate it and want to get rid of it and want to hide it. Which brings us then to our third point, and that has to do with some reasons that we can love one another. Did you ever have uh, your kids, and it probably happened to you too, but uh, the kids will say, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do the other thing. And they say, no, you can't. And they say, why? Why can't I? And our answer is usually, because I said so. Now John could do that. He could say, because God said so. Because I as God's representative said so. Love one another. Well, why? Because I said so. But we have some reasons here. We don't have to wait uh, and, and say, okay, we can't figure it out now, we'll figure it out later. We have passed, he says, from death unto life, verse 14. We have passed from out of death into life. And you see, that is a reason to love one another because we're not like we used to be. We're not that old person that uh, lives in hatred and that struggles in that way. Rather, we have been given a new life, passed out of death and into life. And this enables us, then, you see, to love even our enemies. Now, Jesus said, love your enemies, love those who despitefully use you, and so forth. 
And so we're, we're somewhat limited in that. We can't uh, love them in the same way that we love fellow believers. But still, we are enabled by God to show love even to those around us who are very unlovely and, and unloving. Here's uh, Matthew 5, 43 and 44. You've heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How is it possible to do that with the grace of God, with His help? But then we have the love of the brethren, which is a, a different item, if you will, because it in, involves uh, something of a special quality that God Himself supplies. This is Romans chapter 5, verse 5. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And... We're related if we're believers, okay? We're related. I can't say that you're my cousin or my aunt or my uncle, but we're related. Why? Because the Spirit of God dwells in me, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and that relates us together. And if we can't do that, John says you better examine yourself and see whether you're really a believer or not. Because if you are a believer, if you have a Savior then you have the Holy Spirit who's been poured out into your hearts and you can love each other. So that uh, by the mercies of God, we're not like we used to be. We can love even our enemies, but especially we can love one another. And this love involves, he says, a willingness to lay down our lives even for quarrelsome brothers and sisters. From uh, Romans again, he says, Therefore accept one another as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. And we have this ability from God to accept each other. We have this grace from God to put up with one another. To be patient and long-suffering because God is that way with us. And we can love one another through His help. The love of God in verse 17 is where it abides in us. Now he states it in the negative here. How does the love of God abide in that person who closes his heart against his brother or sister? But if the love of God does abide in us, then we can love one another. And there's just some reasons. It's not just because I said so. It's because we have a new life we're able to love even enemies. Certainly we're able to love brothers and sisters, even to the point of laying down our lives for them because the love of God abides in us. One last thing then, and that is the, the, collection, the collective evidence of our salvation is seen in this passage we, we all would like to have assurance. I would like to be sure that I'm going to heaven. I'd like to be sure that I'm saved. I was watching a, a show not long ago in, in which the uh, prosecuting attorney was, was speaking uh, to the, the assistants and so forth that, that uh, she had there. And she said, when you go into court, you have to start building a wall. Evidence upon evidence upon evidence upon evidence... And that's what we're saying here, that, that there is in this passage a collection of evidence that we indeed belong to the Lord. 
First of all, we know it in our hearts by the witness of the Holy Spirit. We know it because the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And that makes possible for us loving one another. The Spirit dwells in us. The love of God is poured out into our hearts. So the the first bit of evidence is that we know it. The Spirit of God keeps testifying to us, you belong to Christ. When the world says, if, if, you don't, if, if you don't like our hatred, come over and join us. But the Spirit of God says, no, stay with the Lord. You know the Lord. He gives you love. He gives you life. He gives you whatever you're seeking. And the fact that we do love the brethren in spite of ourselves, in spite of our tendencies to say, I don't like Jane or I don't like uh, uh, Harry, I don't like this one or that, we can still love them in spite of all that. Because we have no ingrained hatred for a brother or sister in Christ. Notice verse 15 again. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We have no ingrained hatred for a brother or sister in Christ. There's another block that's in the wall, as it were. We, uh, we give life and goods to help the brethren rather than ignoring their need. John says if you see your brother or your sister in need and you say, well, i got better things to do, you don't help them, uh, that's a bad sign. But if you do love them, if you do offer to help them, then that's another bit of evidence for you. And on the whole, we keep God's commandments. Jesus said, if you love Me, keep My commandments. And we find that that's what we want to do. Not just the command to love one another, but whatever the commands of the Lord, we find ourselves willing and ready to do that. So uh, may God take what we've seen today and encourage us not to be surprised by the fact that the world hates us, but to stay close to Christ, to be faithful to Him, and to then purposefully engage in that love for one another and, and from that gain the assurance, indeed, I do belong to the Lord. I could never love without His help. But I do love, and therefore I can be confident in knowing the Lord. Let us pray. Thank You, Father, for this word of truth, for this word of encouragement. Thank You for the foundation of the death and resurrection of Christ. Thank You for the Scriptures that teach us what we need to know. Thank You that we have every reason to want to love one another and to obey in all other ways also. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.